Testing one, two, three. Back. All right, cool. So I split my Wi-Fi into two Wi-Fis, uh, like a five uh, gigahertz and a whatever the other two point one gigahertz, in an attempt to get my PlayStation Four to connect to Wi-Fi at like faster than dial-up speeds. It didn't work. And now all that happens is my computer hooks up to the wrong Wi-Fi all the time. That's what happened there. All right. Well, that's just bad. Mm-hmm. You were coming through it like a, um, a dial-up modem style amount of or quality. So was it intelligible quality. or should I just start them in the middle of a story and it's very confusing? I'm, there's no chance that I am adding the beginning part to this podcast. So we might as well just start afresh. All right. So the punchline is. Oh, good. Perfect. I walk up. I need to use the bathroom. Oh, okay. And I walk up to the most native-looking person there. And so you're in Mexico to, to give our listeners a like the tiniest bit of of help. Oh here. man! Yeah. All right. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And I say, in the most confident way possible, "Donde está el baño?" Mm. And they pointed and said a bunch of words I didn't understand. See, uh, uh, you overextended because it was it was clearly unnecessary for me to use Spanish when everyone there's going to speak English. But it was the one phrase I knew, and it was there was no one that was going to tell me not to use it. Mm. And but I was in a hurry, so it seemed natural, and I was just like gracias, and I just ran off. And it was just like, you know, for that small moment, I belonged. And clearly, it was all a facade, but you know. Oh, wow. That is not the direction I was expecting that to go because uh, in a similar situation uh, in France, I, um, you know, I guess, hold on, I think I'm clipping. Let me, let me turn down my gain there. Okay. Hmm. How about right there? All right. So uh, in France, in, in, uh, I, I'm terrible with every other language period. And I, so you're immediately, you, uh, the it's a battle to win but a prize that i don't know what to do with when i win it you know what i mean like you're trying to say something convincing enough that you aren't like a stupid american but if you succeed too well then they say something back to you also in french and then you're screwed uh yeah no i had a contingency which was to run away yeah you had a you had a, a kind of a narrative justification for piecing out really fast uh whereas i would walk into a store and say, uh, you know, whatever it is you say, which I can't, I can't, I literally, <laughs> <laughs> I literally want to say, coma, sta, and that's not correct. Um, I'd say, bon bon well, it's not bonjour, is the one of the problems. Uh, bonjour? My understanding is it's more of a bonjour, bonjour, like it's oh, very, bonjour. yeah, bonjour. It's not or, and there's no bon, it's just bonjour. And you kind of mumble it. Like there's a lot of like mumbling of very you know, straightforward mumbling phrases. Mumbling could be strategic in all of these cases. Well, and mumbling, I guess, is the maybe the wrong way to put it. Americans do a lot of yelling over enunciating and smiling that makes you seem like a big dumb idiot when you're in Paris where no one smiles or yells or is like or makes a ruckus of any kind. Um, so like imagine like a, a, uh, a good old Southern Baptist, a good old boy, like walking up to someone and be like, how you doing? It's good to see you. And he like grabs both your hands and shakes them upside down. Like he might be kicked Honestly, out of the city. if a foreigner did that, I would just be ecstatic. It would be hilarious. It would just be great. I'd be like, oh, they care. Now, I've been to other, other parts of France in which uh, the, the folks there were a little bit more uh, – 
uh, gregarious. But in, in Paris in particular, you're supposed, you walk in, you sort of mumble bonjour, and you just keep rolling. And then I would usually, you know, if I, I, I figure like all I really want is to disappear, right? I just want to blend <laughs> in. I don't want to be the do way. You, do you look French, maybe? I don't I, know. I'm not really. Uh, Shannon Wait, and I. You've got Louisiana blood. Surely there's some French in there. Yeah, but I, I'm also like I got half German blood, and I think that sort of like tones the French features down enough that I just sort of like to in my mind I, I feel like I just look like a, a I look like a character preset from a, a video game of like a white person. You know, it's they're like, like uh, yeah, they're doing okay. Yeah, face here is person uh, preset number seven. Um. Oh man, but no, Shannon and I actually were asked for directions once uh walking down the street in Paris and I feel like that that is the uh the real goal. I I feel like if a French person starts saying French back to me, I've overshot. I'm too convincing or I've succeeded too well at faking the nine French words that I I knew at the time that's now down to apparently one half a word. Um, but if if someone who isn't necessarily French or is speaking English enough comes like ask ask directions, I've succeeded because I've I've fooled you know you know what, you know what I mean. I've landed in the middle somewhere. But um, what do you do? I I mean at one I I think you know maybe maybe you can answer. I feel like I helped <laughs> a little bit. I mean this this is a, not a unique thing to France, I guess. But Shannon and I always talk about like if we're somewhere and we get asked for directions, we always feel like we succeeded in at least looking like we belonged, uh, but not looking too much like you belong. You know what I mean? You look like enough like you belong. Well, yeah, in this case, you looked enough the part, but also looked approachable, which may have meant you looked like a smart French-speaking foreigner. Ah, well, I mean, two out of three, sort of. <laughs> bad. Not bad. Uh, this is uh, thematically well, appropriate. It's, uh, it is uh, Mardi Gras. As we're oh, recording this, oh, indeed it is. I, I, I mean, that, that that leads me to believe your reaction there leads me to believe you might not have uh, known or celebrated any sort of Mardi Gras. I did, I did realize it, but did not celebrate it as such. Although mm. I have in the past, so you've actually haven't you been to Mardi Gras like in New Orleans? I, I have been to New Orleans in on Fat Tuesday. Yes. Think I was in college. Wow, that's nothing. Yeah, it was. Uh, let's start out with a spoiler here. Nothing untoward happened, except that our car got broken into and things stolen out of it, and it was the most crowded, filthy, like milieu of people you've ever experienced. It's uh, they call it a gumbo. A gumbo, that would be a very good word for it. The, 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 of all those things, the, the most disconcerting was that there was a regular sort of spray of unknown liquid that would like sort of hit you from different angles. And of all the things, that was a little the most off-putting. Well, I think a milieu is like, a, um, like an onion, celery uh, sort of carrot, and you could kind of dice them all up. And then you spray them with an unknown liquid. And you saute him for about 30 minutes. Maybe I should use a more positive term. A melange. I, I, is a melou, is a melange more positive than a melou? 
I would think so, right? It's usually used with like spices. That seems more positive. Mm, that, yeah, I mean, there, there's an aromatic implication to a melange. Oh, there was an aromatic <laughs> implication. Yeah. Um, wait, I'm I'm genuinely scared to ask more about the un. Like, is was it more of a misting? Did you feel like it was maybe like a like the sidelines of an NFL game? Like it were- was. Okay, no, it wasn't misting. I mean, uh, it was punctuated, right? So you knew like something was happening somewhere that ended up reaching you. Somehow. Oh, there was a velocity to this liquid. Uh, sometimes it was just I, that the mystery is the the uh, the off putting part to some to mm. some degree. Because I mean, I don't uh, know. But okay, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, like in in New Orleans in general, the air has a certain unknown liquid sort of quality to it uh, yeah, due to the fact turn, that it's over it 100% humidity all the time. Turn it up to 10. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it, well, actually it wasn't bad. I mean, it was an experience that I enjoyed having had, although I think it would be better if you were drunk uh, or I don't know. Uh, it was more of a spectacle. Like after everybody started clearing out, there was just – Piles of trash bigger than yourself, all lining Canal Street. It was it was quite amazing. Oh, those, those are just the. Uh, hmm. uh, <laughs> You're like, oh, were you actually there on Mardi Gras? This might have been. <laughs> yeah. Like well, let's see. So far, Tuesday. there's a Malou. There's crowds. Um, there's piles of trash bigger than you, and there's unknown liquids. You're not really selling me on the Mardi Gras experience. And you said nothing untoward happened. I mean, that's I, I, if I'm. If I'm well, going I didn't to Mardi do Gras, anything untoward. Maybe oh, I that see. should be said. Okay. There was untoward things happening about. Mm. You were in the proximity of the untoward. Yeah, it was uh well, it was something else. And then, you know, it sort of got topped off by the car being broken into and CDs and radios being stolen, which oh, no. properly dates this story. Well, and um, Was it a third party radio? Was it your radio? Not my car, thankfully. Mm. Um, it was, oh, you know, back then it was a third party radio and, you know, the more lights that constantly moved in an, uh, a non-meaningful pattern, the, the more you'd pay for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why you got to get the one with the detachable faceplate, pop that sucker off there in the glove box. Or, well, yeah, clearly. I mean, I think they may have discovered anything in the glove box as well, but we ended up driving around New Orleans for a while the night after Mardi Gras had ended, largely, in silence, find a police station in which to report the break-in for his insurance purposes, which was harder than you would think. Um, and the police station, I hesitate to say, was located in a ghetto because it was just generally in New Orleans. Um, so yeah, it was super fun. <laughs> I uh, the the days of silence following an, a stereo theft is an uh, experience. I'm not sure that um, future generations will have at least in the same way. Because uh, I mean, now I mean now my my car has some sort of you know the the stereo just is sort of uh, like uh, combined at a cellular level with the rest of the car. You're not gonna be popping out the the stereo on a on a, on a CRV anymore. But at the time, I had a I had a Pioneer, whatever, and I got installed at, at the Circuit City. And uh, yeah, somebody uh, on the way back from college, on the way back from graduation, actually in North Carolina, somewhere in the parking lot of a Hampton Inn, somebody jacked my stereo. 
and just left the wires hanging. You know, you, you get uh, at the time all you need is like a, probably a screwdriver and and a little bit of patience. Pull that thing right out. Yeah, well, it was a different time. It CDs was. and giant books. That's right. I would. Uh, I I don't. Do you know? Do you remember my CD uh, system? I had a system. A system at your house? No, no, no. In my CD book in my car. Oh, your book was systematized. Very. Okay, that definitely rings a bell. Mm-hmm. So what would happen is I'd buy, I'd buy a CD. I would immediately rip the CD, and then burn a copy of the CD. And what went into the car was the um, into the pocket of the of the the case logic. Uh, was the uh, graphics from the CD jewel case and then the ripped version of the CD. Um, and if the band had happened to have an EP that was uh, uh, adjacent, time adjacent, like released before or directly after, I would burn the EP onto the end of the CD because otherwise you'd never listen to an EP because it's like four songs long, right? So I'd just stick it on the end there. And uh, so I never had original CDs in my car. So if I had ever gotten my booklet stolen, I would have just lost all the album art. And not the CDs. I definitely remember this, or I remember it being a common practice, perhaps. Well, you had you had your your copiers, you had your um, your people who would uh, just have a boatload of jewel cases in the car, or the most concerning to me were the people that would have the CDs, and then they would stick the CDs in the pocket in front of the album art, which. You know what I mean? Like that, that bothered you? Yeah, I mean it defeats the. Well, it didn't bother me that much, but I, I didn't, I didn't ascribe to that practice. It seems well, to right. defeat the Your whole cover pro- art's yeah. covered, and the nice little microfiber backing is useless at that right. point. What's the microfiber backing doing then? Nothing. Spent all that money on I, microfiber. I we didn't know what microfiber was. They didn't advertise it properly, so could have been ignorance. That's true. We did. We didn't appreciate the microfiber while it mattered. And now, look at us now. Our music isn't even real. It isn't. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, yeah, I have definitely abandoned CDs. The only physical music I own is a very nascent record collection. Well, I mean, I I hate to talk about work on here, but if you need records... um I do. I do work for a website that has, me a link. has seven seven digits worth of records listed currently. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that was a main thing they did. Oh yeah. Oh, well, I don't know anything. You and I need I to talk. <laughs> you and I need to talk about what I do for a living. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't want to talk about it now. Uh, what we're talking like one point five million records available <laughs> online. It's it's something else. Um. So, so you're like the guy whose dad owned a, you know, a car, a used car dealership, and they were always in around new cars. You probably got these little records coming in and out of your house. I don't personally. I don't uh, blow tons of uh, uh, disposable income on records. I certainly would if I um, didn't blow a bunch of money already this year on musical equipment. Which is also related to my job. So, in a sense, yes, I am that person. <laughs> um, all right. Well, yeah, I'll still talk to you. All right. Well, we'll, we'll have to talk. We'll have to deal with. I, I don't know if it's. I, I think we're too early in the podcast to just blow, uh, blow through a musical episode. But there might end up being a music episode. You might talk a lot. I yeah. That's kind of what I'm afraid of. Um, 
So do you uh did you bring a list this week? Did you uh I have a list that we didn't use last week and I do have it looks like there's two extra entries. All right, cool. I I mean, yes, number one, certainly I uh I we didn't uh talk about anything on your list last week. Uh so I actually instead of a list, I actually have a text from my mother. Um so if we want to jump into that at any time we can. Here's what I want you to do though. For your list, and instead of sending it to me, just read off the whole list. And we'll 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 kind of feel it out as you go through it and then anything that sticks out, let's uh let's examine uh, it. Are we talking about you want it in any particular order? It is in no particular order. That's so perfect. I'll just start reading words. Yeah, if you read them in, if you read them out of order, you might accidentally put them in some sort of order, and that would not do. All right, here we go. Falcon Heavy launch, mustaches, fireworks in the wrong hands, sports quote fanatics, opera. What's it all about? Public speaking. What does your RP video game character reveal? Manual transmission, the sun is a star, retirement, infidel car stickers, who knows how to drive this wagon, and sibling <laughs> friendships. Oh my goodness gracious. That was these, ma- these could be very deceptive. You think it's one thing, might be another thing. Oh man, the, there's, there's so much uh, potential content here. Um, I guess it's up to me to, to pull something out of that. Um, let's pick a, let's pick some low hanging fruit. You want to talk about manual transmissions? That seems like a dad thing. <laughs> that to is talk about the possibly the lowest hanging fruit possible. And probably the one I have to remember the most. I'm really trying to draw out why I wrote this, which oh, is no. a whole other topic. Hold on. Okay. Okay. How one takes notes. It's mm. really more of like a pointer to like a whole nother thing you Ooh, were thinking. Programming term. I haven't thought about pointers since college. Yeah. Well, thankfully, I don't work I in rarely had to. I don't work in languages with pointers anymore. I, only in only in school. Um, maybe it had to do with. Well, first of all, do you have an affinity for manual transmissions or not? I do. I I feel strongly okay. about the the manual Good. transmission. There's a lot of things, you know. You feel on what the car is doing. Right. It's engaging somehow, whereas driving seems more of like a waste of time in a lot of other ways. I don't know. There's a couple reasons. But yeah, totally. I think stemmed from my first car that I owned was a 1982 Mercedes uh, diesel. And I was told later that it did not have a turbo. I, be- I believe that's the term. Uh, which is a thing that they put in diesel so that they can actually like go places. Oh, I've driven in that car. I could tell you it didn't have a turbo. (laughs) Right. Okay. So, uh, it was also the last, just because I loved this car, it was the last diesel imported into the U S before emission diesel emission standards were tightened. So this was like a real diesel something. Um, and it was like a four speed and you floored it in every gear. Mm -hmm. Um, just to have normal operation. I remember when I was very much younger, my sister was just learning to drive. So she must have been 15. I would have been 12. And my dad's like, you're going to learn how to drive a manual, Anna. 
And if you know anything about my sister, this is already a bad suggestion. I'm seeing her roll her eyes and turn up her Dave Matthews band louder to drown uh, out. Might have been live. Live. No, sorry. You're right. It totally was live. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm along for the ride and it quickly devolves into my dad trying to explain things and Anna freaking out and just grinding, stalling. And she quits. She just quits. The car stopped in the middle of a road um, in our neighborhood. Oh. And so uh, my dad's like, fine. Well, Brock, do you want to try? And I was like, I was shocked. I was like, yes, of course. Nobody asks a 12-year-old to do anything. And um, <laughs> well, there's reasons for that. I hop in there and like, it's rough, but like I get it. It's very natural. You know, it's just a thing. Um, I guess it's just a I don't know what it is, but it was, it was all, very it was, nice. It was all that X-Wing and TIE Fighter that we were playing. <laughs> right. Yes. That's what I may have. I would have tried to convince them anyway. But anyway, that became my car later. And it was great, except for the incredible danger of pulling out into traffic. Um, hills were fine because you just floored it anyways. So you weren't <laughs> worried about easing into the clutch or whatever. And uh, it, it, Really did me well. I also destroyed a friend's car with it. Yeah, I wanted uh, to. I, I, I want to. You go ahead. What do you? Were you there? Oh, I have. I was in the passenger seat. I have. Oh, okay, I didn't know if it was you or Jake. Yeah, no, go it was for totally it. me. All right. Well, first of all, I, I as an outside uh, kind of a you know a passenger in this car, um, I want to make it. I want to paint a, a a broader with a broader brush like kind of what we're dealing with here. This was an old Mercedes. It was black. Um, it kind of looked like a car that a physics professor from the 60s would drive. You know, I guess it was an 83, but this was the very, like, kind of, like, small yet dense car style. You know what I mean? Like that, an 82, and 82. I take it as okay. a compliment. Yes. No, totally. It was, it was not a – it was very um, – it, it would have been easy to caricature as if you needed a, to make a cartoon <laughs> yes. car, right? Because there was no – there was no slope from the hood into the um, into the windshield, right? It was bubble like, headlights, right? Very, very, um, yeah, very round headlights, uh, very slim. Very, you look at it and you're like, oh, that's a small car, and then you get in it and experience that car accelerating and realize that it's small, but it has uh, it has like an atomic mass of <laughs> like plutonium or something. It was <laughs> like, depleted uranium. Okay, uh, yeah bumpers so yeah it, it sounded like a, a a yacht uh accelerating out of a harbor when it accelerated and it and it uh and it tilted back to a degree that was alarming um just the actually the shock situation in general in that car was uh very boat <laughs> fabulous yeah. yes we it was it, it it did a really good imitation of having um hydraulics now and since we're talking about manual transmission transmissions uh, I don't know if I ever drove it, but correct me if I'm wrong. Was the wasn't isn't isn't it a car where the reverse was uh, in the upper left? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I remember that. I may have had to back it out once or something. Right. It was, I guess, abnormal for that. Oh yeah, N- not only abnormal, but like downright malevolent way to design a, a gear shift. You never knew if you were in first. I will give you that. Right. The first thing you have to do with a car is make it go. And the designers of that car decided that the normal make it go thing should actually do the literal exact opposite, like the most destructive possible mistake <laughs> you could make. 
while trying to make a car go is to not go in the direction you were expecting. Yeah, there was no pushing it down either. It was it will go in or what it won't. Right. Anyway. Um so anyway, so we're driving back through um we're driving back from the beach behind our friends uh it was a Mercury um Mercury Coupe whatever the Mercury Coupe of the early 2000s was. Uh, a Saturn. Was it a Saturn? Okay. Yes, it was. I mean, it was one of these the narrative. semi-imaginary car brands that I think the, the, the recession claimed to some degree. It was made out of the same material as one of those like uh, Barbie cars that you buy at, at Toys R Us. Um, Pretty much. Yeah, so we're driving behind it, coming up over hill uh, after going under the 15th Street Bridge in Pensacola, right? The um, uh, graffiti bridge. Is it 15th Street? This is 14th Street? 17th. There you go. There we go. 17th Street Bridge. The most irrelevant part of my story has been confirmed. Um, so that bridge, you kind of go down underneath it because I think it's a train track or something. And then you come up a hill and going yeah, 35 or 40 miles an hour. And then at the top of the hill, as it evens out, there's a stoplight right there. And we came up out of the uh, up over the hill and then saw him. Oh no, he was behind us because this is very important. Yeah, so I, I, I was going to let you go through it, but right. yeah, you no, got I'm it remembering right. the the damage the damage sustained, and this is this is a crucial part of the story, which is you hit your brakes uh, because the car in front of us hit their brakes. You very gingerly swerved, I believe, into a yard to the right, which I was impressed by because getting your car to stop is no small feat. <laughs> and uh, then we felt kind of a gentle bonk. Uh, I don't feel like I'm like my head wasn't thrown back or anything, but our car yeah, was, it wasn't, it wasn't jarring. No, it was kind of like a baseball hitting a basketball kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, and we get out of the car, we're fine. And, uh, Jeff's car is crushed. <laughs> like the hood was crumpled up to where you couldn't see out of the front. Uh, the, we eventually found out, I believe he totaled his Saturn coupe on yes. the back of your car, and your car experienced uh, what mechanic would call a dented gas tank. And that's it. <laughs> there was some paint on the bumper I had to scratch off. Okay. And the chrome bumper. There was, this is a real metal bumper. It was. It was like solid steel with chrome on the outside. Uh, I found two separate times in the um, following weeks pieces of his car under the bumper. Um, it was <laughs> like, yeah, I just like, pulled, yeah, like I, I was like, <laughs> what is that? And I'd reach in there and it was like the front license plate plastic uh, holder just stuck up under there. Um, yeah, it was really rather gruesome for the Saturn, but I missed that car. Out of curiosity, what, what, what miles per gallon did that thing get? Oh, that's such a good question. It was. I mean, this was arguably was, before anyone cared. I guess it was. Well, it was lower teens. That's all I know for sure. Jeez. But diesel was cheaper back then. Yeah. Huh. Well, I was. I learned how to drive manual transmissions uh, with uh, 1994 Honda Accord, uh, which was neither diesel nor slow and heavy, but it did have the softest clutch in the entire world. Um, so that made that tricky, but I mean, I don't have a ton of stories about it. My dad, my dad did the baptism by fire thing, which is what I'll probably do with my kid. If I have a manual at the time, which is unexpectedly just pulling into like a church parking lot on the way back from somewhere. If we have a couple minutes and getting out and saying, all right, we're going to drive around this parking lot and then just doing it. That sounds right. Mm-hmm. 
All right, manual transmissions. We did it. We talked about manual transmissions. I I I feel like there aren't a lot of things. Maybe there. Maybe we'll find out that there are through the course of this podcast. There aren't a lot of things that I feel like are just um, kind of cliched, basic dad life skill things. Um, but being able to change a tire and being able to drive a manual transmission are two of them that I feel old fashioned about. I guess you're maintaining these skills. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that they are um, not that hard to attain and generally good to be able to do. Oh, did what? <sighs> Have you always had manuals? I, this is I'm asking this question for a reason. But. No, I mean, practically speaking, it is harder and harder to find a manual. I had a Mazda three for a little while in Florida. Now we have a CRV. Like eventually, you end up needing cars that do not come so, in manual transmission form. Which which car did you wreck in the most lighthearted and uh, my most favorite car wreck story? Me. Wrecking yeah, a car? Well, I wreck might be a strong word. You I hit a so. trash can. Uh, I I mean, I don't. I genuinely don't remember what you're talking about. So you, go for it. You hit. I all I was told is the story. Oh, of you, this is a secondhand. So. Well, no, you told me this story. Oh, uh, <laughs> it was, it was real You ran into like a trash can, but. You were driving with Shannon somewhere, and oh, you no. just decided to be like nice or something, no, and no, no, turned no. your oh, head God. away. Can oh. you tell me this now? <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, did you repress this? No, I I know what you're talking about. It's it's a so I don't want to get into the group. Oh, fine. Look, when we were when we were engaged. We were down in Florida uh, fixing to go to a wedding that Shannon was going to be a uh, bridesmaid at. And we were driving her uh, Ford Escort ZX2, little uh, sporty little Ford Escort, red Ford Escort. And I was driving. We were driving. We were pulling out of a uh, street in kind of back streets of St. Augustine. And I turned to her and I said, you look nice because she did look nice. She was dressed ready to go to this wedding. And um, I was pulling out of a stop sign going maybe 15 miles an hour. And I drifted off this like curbless back road about eight inches and um, hit a uh, telephone pole that was like flush with the road. And uh, this is a Ford Escort ZS2. It's not a uh, 1983 Mercedes. Um, it crumpled immediately. Uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> the telephone pole kind of hooked the inside the tire and... And so the car spun 90 degrees, kind of like, uh, I guess, uh, clockwise. And both the airbags went off. Uh, oh, and we went, we went sliding down the road in 90, 90 degree angle. Uh, again, the whole thing was maybe 50 feet from a stop sign. And I was not gunning it. I had just turned to talk to her for a second. Um, I was yelling at her to get out of the car. There was smoke. It turns out it was from the um, airbags going off, right? A little bit of uh, a propellant. And... Uh, she was disoriented. She lost one of her earrings and the, the airbag hitting her in the face. Um, actually, it hit her in the side of the face because she was looking at me saying, thank you. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that was how I – thanks thanks for thank, – well, you know, it only took five episodes. Um, but that's how I totaled my, my fiancé's uh, car. I, uh, okay, none of you are seriously injured. And no, it's no, just everyone's fine. Amazing ah, – amazing is the wrong word. It is – in retrospect, a fantastic little 
vignette of like you turning, saying something, and then complete chaos for like <laughs> ten seconds, screaming everything. Yeah, it's just the I don't know. The juxtaposition is I don't know. I like it. I mean, there's a certain type of story that ends with "and she married me anyway." I don't know. <laughs> All those stories are are probably worthwhile, but also hard to tell. Um, right, you I, don't want to tell them all at once because then it will actually be a question. I learned almost. No, I mean, there's no like moral to this story other than like you know, watch the road. And uh, uh, at the time, like I had no money. Like our insurance allowed us to basically buy whatever car was available, which was a Hyundai Elantra, which is a garbage car that would occasionally shift into neutral on the interstate. <laughs> uh, well. Um, right after that, I, um, I, I went and got her a, uh, grilled cheese, but I got it with the wrong toppings in it because I wasn't listening. Also, if you ever total some uh, your fiance's car, listen very carefully to her grilled cheese order directly thereafter. You're just going to make everything worse. So you did learn something. I mean, yes, <laughs> I would say the, the <laughs> Maybe knowledge future generations can, the, the price paid for knowledge. this knowledge was maybe higher than market value. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad I'm not crazy. But sorry about the car. All right. Uh, well, I appreciate that. It was, at this point, so, so long ago. I, I wish it had just been me hitting a trash can. That would have been fine. Um, your mom backed uh, into our... Uh, she backed into our mailbox one time. Do you remember this? Um vaguely i mean your mailbox was in the wrong place i'm sure (laughs) well it was we were in a neighborhood you know mail uh, neighborhoods have their codes and the codes for this mail uh neighborhood necessitated that the mailbox be mailboxes all be brick so they were like three by three by six foot tall like brick pillars with the mailbox sort of embedded in it so it wasn't like she didn't like back into like a four by four she backed into like a brick plinth uh, with a mailbox. Oh, uh, yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah. It was a dent in that car for a long time. Well, she didn't knock it over. She lifted it at like a 30 degree angle off the foundation and then like I realized what had happened and let it back down again. Uh, <laughs> um, other thing that happened, that car, so that uh, I, I've got two different, wait a minute, I have a, two segues that will lead us into the wagon thing. Uh, Whoa. Both based on Whoa. living in, yeah, right? Both based on living in that house, that house had a very, very long straight driveway. And so everyone would get lazy and um, try to just gun it out the driveway. And in the case of your mom, she'd back into the small building that was our mailbox. In the case of um, my dad and my mom and I, we were headed somewhere and um, we just dropped the babysitter off. We were headed to some symphony thing or whatever. My dad hits the uh, reverse in our, uh, might have been the, the aforementioned accord actually. And he's like, bam, like, well, I wish I had a pop screen. I do not. Bam. Like probably, you know, 10, 15 miles an hour coming out of the driveway hits the babysitter's car (laughs) who who had decided to park. Like it's a hundred and you know, it's a hundred foot long straight driveway. She decided to just pull like 10 feet in and just park her car. Um, so he got, you know, a good 50 foot head start and hit her car. Full speed. That you know, as, as an aside, that is a pretty good reverse imitation. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, just wanted to 
acknowledge that. I mean, I'm tapping into real life experiences here um, <laughs> yes. for all of these. So, so my third thing that's going to draw into the wagon thing is what that, um, and this is, I was probably 12. Um, we had one of those big chunky Fisher price wagons, like not the, um, not the little radio flyers, right? This was, uh, the, this was yeah, the, the cartoony ones. Yeah. The step two stuff that's made out of like uh, real chunky, thick plastic. And, uh, we would, um, I would take my, my sisters and I, my little sisters and I would go to out and, um, someone would be in the, uh, in driving quote unquote, the wagon and you'd run as fast as you can, pushing them down the very slight incline of the driveway. Cause the, the thrill wasn't the actual straight, straight shot on the driveway. It was trying to hit the turn onto the sidewalk at full speed. Oh yes. No, yeah. I'm with you fully. Right. So you're trying to like Tokyo drift your way around the, um, the end of the driveway and, and, uh, and hit the sidewalk and probably bail out, but you would bail out into the, you know, the strip of grass between the sidewalk and the street. Um, anyway, my sisters will still talk about the one time that I, uh, overdid it and overpushed <laughs> them and wiped them out into the driveway and they got very scraped up and you know what? That's you know. the risk they were taking. I'm sorry. We've all done things like this. We, we had an actual radio flyer. So possibly more dangerous and we would tie it behind a bike with a rope. And when that didn't, when that didn't suffice for us, we tie it behind two bikes, which I don't actually think made it faster because you got to have them both taunt at the, I don't know, but to us, it made, you know, it more dangerous. And well, we'd, that was um, true. <laughs> we would, well, yeah, and we'd hold on to it, um, the rope and get it going as fast as we could. And then we'd release and try to steer with the handle thing or, uh, have a ramp set up into a yard and release into that. Um, wow. I think, all of those things, I'm having a hard time seeing my kids do those things now that I'm talking about it. But uh, I, I don't, I don't yeah. regret it. There are a number of things, and and I think that comparatively, like before we get too self congratulatory about whatever dumb crap we did, I think we comparatively we were pretty good and low risk children, and yet still there. I could name a dozen things that you and I did that I would lose my mind if my children attempted. One Very day. true. We were not putting our lives and futures at risk uh, in most. On, every case, uh, on the contrary, we were, we were just not to the degree that I think. Um, would make the podcast just be about us doing shocking things. <laughs> uh, there were plenty of things that we did that still could have gone uh, sideways real bad. Could have. Mm -hmm. Could have. Well, I mean, you don't make napalm and have nothing happen. Well, I live in the universe where it all turned out just great. Mostly. <laughs> we're almost Except there. Except for that word. <laughs> a, couple, a, couple of things, a couple of things have gone sideways with this universe, but um, in general, we're still here. So that's good. <laughs> For now. Um, I'm trying to think of other things on your list. Okay, wait a minute. The wagon thing. I was, I was segueing into the wagon thing. Oh, What's the wagon thing? Who knows how to drive this wagon? Mm. Well, it's probably less hilarious than you're thinking. Because if I were in a scenario where <laughs> I ended up saying, who knows how to drive this wagon? That just sounds like a good story. Rather... Um, you're not, it, it, you're not selling this well. You got you got to yes and your way into a good story. I'm gonna undersell it and then just bail, and then it's just done. Oh, All right, boy. I'm gonna turn this around. 
non-specific. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to go into what I do at work because this shows up in all kinds of life. But work has made it abundantly clear to me that people have what might be called a very narrow focus on their responsibilities in life, perhaps. Okay. So. Okay. The analogy that I, I've tried to use to explain this, especially through work, is that you come across – you're heading down a road and you come across like five people sitting in a wagon going nowhere with a broken wheel. And you come up to them and you're like, hey, you guys, what's up? And they're like, hey. And you're like, so the car's not working? And they're like, Nope. And they're like, well, what's wrong? Well, there's broken wheel. And you're like, okay, does anybody know how to fix a broken wheel? And then one guy's like, yep, that's all I do. That's my whole job, actually. And you're like, you want to fix the wheel? And they're like, yeah, that would be great. And then they fix the wheel. And then they get back in the car and they're sitting there. And they're like, uh, okay, does um, anybody know where you're going? And they're like, yep. And you sort of stare at them, and you're like, who? And then somebody raised their hand, and they go, yeah, I got a map. I'm sort of like a guide. That's all I do. And you're like, great. Where are we going? Like, right this way. Take a left here. Great. And then they just keep sitting there. You're like, like, who knows how to drive this wagon? And somebody raises his hand and is like, that's all I've done my entire life. I'm a great wagon driver. And you're like, why don't you follow the navigator guy? And he's like, great. And then they head off to where they're going. This sounds pos- t- slightly contrived, but it is almost word for word identical to what I deal with often at work with people. It's like they just – it's like they almost don't want to know where, what else they're doing other than – I don't know. Do you follow the analogy at all? Oh, Brock. <laughs> I do. I, I do follow this analogy. Um, so here's the deal, uh, I think. I think. And I don't want to like jump too far toward just like wrapping this all up in a pithy little bow. But um, let's see. The, so I'm going to – I'll get – I'm going to wrap it in a, in a nerdy little bow. So you have a, you have a starship, right? You've got, <laughs> you've got, uh, you've got the firefly, right? And, uh, and the, oh man, that's so lame. Look, man, you got like a captain and the captain isn't necessarily driving the ship. You know what I mean? And the, the, the he's not fixing the engine and he's not like, and he's not, uh, he's not navigating. He's probably not shooting, but what is he doing? He's, He's telling them, all right, we're going to go here next. He's telling them, all right, we need the engine fixed. He's, he's redirecting people. Um, and that, I mean, there is a certain amount of like in, independence and uh, self-actualization uh, that is nice and convenient, but not always common. Um, so if you have a team of people doing a thing just because they're good at their specialty doesn't mean they're good at um, knowing when to deploy their specialty or even 
that they want to be the one to decide when to do it. There's a certain amount of like inherent responsibility in deciding this needs to be done now. And a lot of people don't want to take that on. Like that's not what they get out of it, I guess. Does that make sense? Like that, yes. That yeah. You're describing so. your role in this situation that you're describing is that of like a, a manager. And I, I'm mildly regretting my attempt to like not just go with business terms. Because <laughs> I, of, the, I, I it didn't work. it because it bores me. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I, it's not lost to me that that's what they're for. And I'm not, I'm not generally what you would call self-starter, but I can't sit there watching nobody do anything except like, like, Communication. I don't know. It, it strikes me that it shouldn't be that necessary for people to be guided toward action if they have even a slight sense of desiring a further goal than what they just do right necessarily. But you've, right? you've already qualified it with something that is not – necessarily every uh, something that everybody wants to do like not everybody wants to go to work and like make those leaps of uh, what what can especially if they're used to just doing the same thing when someone tells them to do it doing it doing it on their own accord is is a leap like it is it does require a certain amount of confidence and it might not be something that they personally like want to that might not be a step they want to take you know what i mean like not everybody feels uh feel Excuse me. Not everybody fulfills um, feels fulfilled by that, or at least initially. Um, it, it's fascinating, and like to me, and I, I'm not a, I'm learning a little bit about like how to manage people or how to motivate people or, or whatever. Um, because in my career, it's very uh, I, I do design stuff, which means uh, a lot of the time the dynamic is more client uh, advisor not so much manager managed. Um, but there is a certain amount of just like confidence you have to instill in someone. And sometimes the, that starts by like getting them to uh, do something and like understanding that they will feel better if they're not the ones making that call about when or how they should do that. And it doesn't mean that they are like, it doesn't necessarily anyway mean that they're like trying to get away with something or that they are trying to avoid some sort of thing that would otherwise give them fulfillment. Um, to me, it might just mean that that isn't what they came to work that day to do. Mm. I mean, especially working for the government, I would imagine that there's a lot of rank and file and a lot of just like, um, my job here is this and not that. And a lot of like, uh, you if would... my job was to decide to do this, then that would put me in a different pay grade. Like there's a bunch of other like, right. Well, know, those like, are, that, yeah, factors. in this environment, it's more like you would only ever use that as an excuse. I think mm. what baffles me is the lack of like, like offering help when you know you could. Maybe. I mean, you know? that, that takes that takes a few different things. I think it takes confidence like it, it takes uh, some sort of empathy with the person they're dealing with. Like it takes confidence that if you offer the help will be appreciated. Um, it takes confidence that your help will actually make things better and not worse. It takes empathy where you're like you feel th- that you're going to go outside of your own like uh, own sphere of actual responsibility that could get you in and out of a day. 
um, in order to help this other person, right? Like there, there's a, I think there's a, a lot of different things that keep somebody from, from wanting to do. So these are all like defense mechanisms. Sort and, of. I mean, I think that's underselling it. I think that they're, um, they're all slightly unsafe feeling if it's not what you're used to doing. Um, does that make, I mean, I, I feel like if you call it a defense no, mechanism, that's a little bit like judgment that can be a little bit judgmental. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean it like that. I I definitely see where you're going. You're the the points you're making do explain the behavior. Um, well, it's more like just to give the person the benefit of the doubt. I think. Um, well, true because a lot of people, I feel like, I run into with this are like really good and normal and helpful generally. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's so conscious. Anyway, I won't talk about it too much. It, it seems like people don't they 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 limit sort of their goal even in something as silly as like a day at work to the most immediate thing, right? Yeah. And yeah. maybe you're right. Like I, I guess that always drives me crazy because it feels so small that I have to try to like think of something bigger to care about. Um, but that doesn't mean I do it well. It's just like, I don't know. It terrifies me to just be responsible for something trivial. Yeah, and some people are the other way around, right? Like they're where they, it terrifies them to be responsible for something that they don't feel 100% uh, in control of. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I think like not if ever, I mean, oh, hold on one second. I got to close this door. Shannon's doing dishes. And if I leave it open, I'm sure that's all going to get picked up on the podcast. One second. Hold on. Run across the room. I'm with you. Uh, I mean, I, <clears throat> I, one of my favorite things to do when I played a lot of, of violin was to sight read, um, mm-hmm. because sight reading is uh, th- the ultimate thinking on your feet for violin. Like you're not playing something over and over again until it's perfect. You're winging something out of the gate, and you're reading just barely ahead of what your hands are doing, right? And like it, it felt super fun all the time, and it was like nonstop that feeling of like I'm going for it and I'm trying something new all the time. Like it, um, but I I, I too have sight read. I do believe you yeah and like that i think some people really really get um like sight reading really does it for them and other people like perfecting the same thing over and over again really does it for them like i like sight reading i have to force myself to practice uh even with the stuff i'm doing now which is just like really loud guitar things like i have to make myself practice and i hate it because i would rather just wing it but if i wing it it's not going to be as good as it needs to be but then there are other people who can play, uh, you know, there's, there's bar bands that play four hours a night or whatever. Like, there, there's a, a quantity to that that I just can't, I can't believe. Um, how what? Huh? How, ma- how many? Yeah, I mean, if you get like a, you, you get a, bar, a band that, that they play a four-hour block at a bar. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, they just go and yeah. go. And that's, that's a, that requires a whole different, like, mindset and uh, and that requires a, mind, a different mindset in a lot of ways. Like, 
to say like I'm going to be in a bar in a, a cover band that plays you know four hours uh, a night all weekend long, which is really common in like Nashville and stuff like that. That requires somebody who has a very different approach to like what they want to do with their time and how they how they want to um, wh- which part of the skill they want to perfect or or that kind of thing. And like I again, this is very like. Uh, benefit of the doubt e right like i'm not saying everyone at work is just trying to perfect a different type of skill or something it's it's not like everyone in that wagon is like you know but like the wagon metaphor is is good and like in that like you know you you didn't describe anybody in the wagon who's like what am i doing here or like i'm just here to show up at meetings and hold a coffee cup like there's no one in your wagon like that they're all capable of something In, uh, there it, are people like that, but sure, you, but they're not in our that. metaphor. Yeah, you <laughs> get well, you get them. That's not the people I'm talking about. Right, the people you're talking about are people who are specialists and they want to be specialists and they don't want to end up in a situation where they're they're responsible for more than that. And I definitely understand that. Um, and well, like, in motivating and redirecting and and uh, organizing those people is is itself like an interesting skill that not all those people have else there would be no such thing as managers i guess yeah i think yeah it's the sense of cooperation like the innate sense that cooperating is good and the best productive thing and that might just be some feeling i have i think what i'm describing this is certainly not it sounds like i'm trying to say these people are wastes what they're doing but i think I just wish there were people that would like encourage uh like not not command but like point out where you could use your your skills or what they think you could help with and people would just be like ready and waiting for it and like for myself because I'm often sometimes the guy in the wagon I mean, I know that, but <laughs> <laughs> we're all the guy in the wagon. Sometimes. Yeah, definitely. It's just like, and maybe it's just an over, maybe I just like cooperation. Um, everybody does, right? That's a very human thing. I, that's funny. Like uh, we're both talking about this wagon and, and like picturing, I think very like, I, I also like cooperation, I guess, but that's not like what I was getting out of the wagon at all. Really? Like I, I tend to, um, I tend to realize cooperation was good after the fact. Um, I, I'm not looking at that wagon thinking, man, if only we were all in that wagon working together. Well, no, that's not how it starts. I'm trying to, to draw a conclusion as to why it bothers me. Oh, yeah. It doesn't happen. Well, I mean, a lot of the time, maybe the people in the wagon don't realize what they're good at until or they're not confident and like you know like not everybody in the wagon who's good at driving the wagon realizes it when you ask them or like is going to speak up until called upon like a lot of the time like a big part of being a leader i think is helping people figure out how what they are good at or helping people figure out that they can be confident in what they're already good at that kind of thing like this is all like uh, it's all management. We're talking about management. Yeah, but or leadership, much, I guess. Well, I hear you. Yeah, I don't. Well, I think it's a good thing to consider. I I will say that um, I had my. I mean, we've all had our our fair share of like stories from group projects in school. Yeah. 
Um, I had a, a one group project where I learned, and may, maybe this is too reductive, maybe, but it's held pretty true for me my whole uh, career, uh, which is uh, I, had, I, I, I got stuck in a group project in a garbage management class with this guy, um, and we had to do a report on Drucker. This was supposedly a 300-level management class where we did basically a high school level report on uh of, of frank frank drucker you know the management guy yeah i don't know i mean i retained a lot from name. this class yeah drucker and um and the guy i did it with uh it was him and me and a couple other people he's very enthusiastic he's like oh yeah everything will be great i'm a really hard worker um that guy uh, prepared nothing uh he contributed nothing and to this day uh i um i have not i i have a real real problem with people who say to me that they are a real hard worker quote unquote because i feel like it's just it's a bad so it's a know, red flag it's a red flag I've absolutely never said that in my life yeah it's a red flag you get Sadly, it it's because i'm not always a hard worker yeah and again i there might i I'm this, I am a one person sample of this particular phenomenon for sure. But, um, yeah, you don't, uh, get suspicious when someone says that they're a hard worker out of the gate. Well, I'll have to think about that. It's important. I feel like the most important thing that we've really said here is that sometimes we're all in the wagon. Uh, I, I definitely think that. Pretty much any time I complain about someone, somewhere in my head, I make myself say, though you don't know it, you almost certainly do this infrequently or perhaps frequently. And uh, sometimes it helps. Well, I mean, there's, it's not just work. Like I, I, I coached a three and four – was it three and four-year-olds? Were they that little? Jeez. T-ball. Uh, T-ball uh, team. And this is a uh, four four year olds. I'm not sure three, four it, and five. Is it might have been four and five. Right. Yeah, it was it was the first tier. Like Archer mm-hmm. was the youngest, or close to the youngest kid in there, and uh, it was a teach the kids how to swing and hit the ball off the tee, and then they run to first base kind of thing. And every half inning, all the kids got to hit, and all the kids cycled through. Yep. And the kid who hit last got to run quote unquote a home run because. Yeah, I did this exact thing with Liam. <laughs> okay, get all the kids off the bases. We got to have the other kids do the thing. Um, by the end of the uh, the season, most of the kids were coach hitting, like I, and which was awesome. And I was also one of the coaches that like at least made them stand in the general vicinity of the of their actual positions. Like I was, I was trying to do it right. I was trying. There were other teams that we played where it was just chaos and they would just stand, <laughs> stand all the kids in like a, a semicircle in the infield and then we would hit a ball and all 12 kids would run and jump on the ball um so we were we were i i feel like i did what i could um it was really fun i i uh i met a bunch of little kids and they all looked up to me and it was very surreal um but there was uh there it's there are situations like that or i imagine like to a degree like jury duty or a church or like a neighborhood group. There's a bunch of situations where a bunch of people get thrown into a situation uh, without any real power structure or specific goals, I guess. Uh, and in this case, it was I was the coach. And then one of the moms 
came out of the woodwork and was like, I'm the treasurer. We're going to have a big cookout at the end of the end of the league. Everybody give me some money and then we're going to do this and that. And, uh, and then there were other, other I ended up uh, not getting any volunteers for bringing snacks and just asking people personally. And of course you ask no one, no one volunteers to bring snacks. Right. But you ask someone personally, Hey, could you bring some, you know, chips and, and Coke or apple slices or whatever? And they light up and they're like, Oh yeah, I can do that. Right. Like, I think when I think like the the wagon isn't always like your job. It could just be like some arbitrary collection of adults that are all super out of their element and are all generally capable of doing what needs to be done, but they need somebody to like organize that stuff. And like the volunteer also is not always the organizer, right? Like the lady who declared that she was the uh, treasurer was very good at that and pretty much, uh, total chaos at actually getting anyone else to do anything else right? <laughs> you know you know it's a very you're right it's a very human thing mm-hmm. to, to need to know your place to be functional and i mean we treat right. kids that way and it's the way that they can you know actually know what to pick from i mean too many choices is no choices um i don't respond well to the person who does the full authoritarian I can see that I'm going to be the leader in this situation I shall assign tasks uh, well that's so nice. I have a very love hate relationship with the balance yeah. that needs to be made there so well that's bad leadership I guess. well yeah I was bringing the most extreme example but sure yeah. oh man Our, uh, that that's more than I ever thought we would talk about management or wagons, actually. We keep saying management, but hey, it's pretty much life. Yeah, it's just leadership and empathy and motivation motivation and understanding people. It's a lot of different things, I guess. Just basically life. <sighs> life. Well, that wasn't one of the bullet points. Uh, mustaches. At least we don't have wagons anymore. Mustaches, you have one. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Is that why it's on there? <laughs> uh, well, that's why I thought of it. I mean, I wanted to know, you know, are mustaches a thing or are they pretty much destined to be a rotating fashion accessory uh, throughout the cycles of, you know, I mean, every fashion accessory is rotating, I would think. Um, I mean, if you think about uh, the beard, the beard was very rare, like 10, 15 years ago, like when we were in school. No one had beards. I know. And then, then the, the transition in the early 2000s, I feel like, was from nothing to heavily ironic, very self-aware mustaches, uh, which became heavily ironic, very self-aware beards, which became very, very ultra-serious beards, which became lumberjack hipsters, which became Mumford and & Sons. Uh, and now, and then I lost track cause I got, I got, became like 30 and I stopped like categorizing waves of, of hip. You know, I do hate to say it, but I hope that the beard craze dies down a little beard craze. <laughs> All this. Well, I don't know how else to describe it. <laughs> rabid beardsmen foaming at the mouth. Well, it's hard to wear a beard and not have people like look at you askance. Like, Hmm, why is he doing this? And you're like, because, uh, well, yeah. I'll say that if I had attempted to grow a mustache in Jacksonville, Florida, at my small web company, I would have been 
borderline harassed every day and at least heavily teased about it. And I, I've been thinking about it a lot because actually at my current company, which is much larger, and my city, which is much larger, I, um, I, I, decided, to stop sh- I decided to stop shaving the day after Christmas uh, for no real reason other than, eh, might as well give it a shot. It's about to be 2018. That's barely a real year number. We're getting into, like, we're post, uh, we're post uh, Back to the Future 2. I think we might be post Blade Runner at this point. I like, think we're post Terminator, right? We're probably post at least one Terminator. I, um, and, uh, and so it's like, nah, screw it. I'll just do it. I'll, I'll, I'll let it go. No one said a word to me for weeks. And then once I feel like there was a threshold where one day my mustache kind of like stopped growing out and kind of grew down a little bit. There's this moment where the mm-hmm. mustache kind of uh, molts. Comes out a, of its cocoon. Yeah. And, and somebody was like, hey, nice mustache. Nice going. And I was like, oh, thank you. And I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I can pin this on the like very small company camaraderie of my old job or the, uh, the South or the um, southness of Jacksonville, Florida, or the big city sort of like understanding of a place like Chicago, which is full of a hugely more uh, varied amount, uh, types of people in every possible way than, than Jacksonville, uh, or some combination of all of that. But I was... Is your, is your workplace skewed towards a certain type of person? I That's... Or is it pretty eclectic? I would say it's pretty eclectic minus a very specific type of person. <laughs> I would say that uh, you're not going to get far in in like a uh, in Chicago in in the city as a like uh, a hard right uh, like a Trumpian conservative type. That it, you're going to be you're going to well, be pretty lonely. I had a very large beard for a while. I mean, always beard usually but I, it got pretty big and then i shaved it almost all the way off not with a razor but down to scruff um for maybe the reasons you did i really didn't have a reason there was nothing other than and this is real i feel like if i do anything the same way too long to where it becomes recognizably my thing i get like claustrophobically nervous and have to change something uh, I don't like the feeling of ossification. You know what I mean? So yeah, you got to keep them moving. I I just you know I just trimmed it down. Nothing drastic. Oh, of course, it was a big change, and it's all people would say to me for several days at work. And I get it. It was drastic. It wasn't like your. It wasn't like the sneak up mustache. Uh, it was there, then it wasn't. But. The response was not, hey, looking good, or or like, oh, cool, you trying a different look, or I don't know, generic response across the board, which, well, let me get into that. It was, you know, what, what? Or, you know, the jokes about me not looking like me, fine. That's to be expected. But on the whole, it was neutrally shocked to off-put to chance to make negative jokes. And I was like, 
I, okay, I get it. There could be a mix, but I was like, really? Is this just the response that people feel is most necessary? Right. And the, in the spectrum of things that you could have done, you picked something that was not, you weren't even like pushing any sort of envelope within an envelope of things. You just like shaved, right? There yeah, wasn't exactly. like, you didn't like, grow a mohawk which is you know they stopped being actually <laughs> was, culturally rebellious when we were five in fact it was a more respectable uh situation probably than the the larger beard but i it, the best i can say is that when you see someone and something's obviously a thing going on you want to joke and then you try to think of the quickest thing you can and often that's like ribbing, you know, right. so yeah. I accept that. But after a while, because I am very sarcastic, I started to try, and I hope people will give me this chance, to maybe make a joke, but to recognize if somebody might feel uncomfortable about something or in the least self-conscious or know that they've been dealing with a lot of people talking to them about it yeah and just say something positive don't lie but just pick a positive about it and just throw that out there it never is bad i feel so strongly about this i agree utterly um now let me give you what i attempted for a while there in order to kind of transcend so like yeah somebody has a, a name that's easy to misspell or a nickname they're probably tired of hearing, or they get a, a new haircut and you feel like you probably know what they've already heard from other people. Uh, I, for a while, would try a tactic I do not recommend, which mm. is to be like, oh, you're probably tired of this one, huh? So <laughs> then, just trying to meta Yeah, the same trying thing. to meta the same thing and be like, oh, you and me, we're both tired of this joke. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just kind of pull the joke out of your backpack and drop it on their toes. You're like, ah. Oh, yeah, I've done that. And in an attempt to build camaraderie through mutual like fatigue of a joke, you're really yeah, just. Like, you're, I get it. Yeah, you're using the joke and also piling on like, like an, a, an additional weight of you expecting that they are going to be buddies with you about it. <laughs> Like you're making it worse. You're making it even worse. Anyway, uh, I did that for a while, isn't it? Because I was aware of that to a degree, but I, um, I was, I think over, over. I was overshooting the real solution, which is to just step back a second and say, "Hey, this person is trying something new." Which maybe you know, who cares why, right? Like they maybe they're trying something new to um, because they're trying to avoid ossification of their hair. Um, maybe they're trying something new because it is. First thought. It is because it's uh, 2018, and enough things, other things are absurd that they feel like if they don't try something absurd too, they're going to go insane. Uh, maybe they're trying it to prove it to themselves that they can do something different. Like it could be anything. Like it, uh, that doesn't really matter. What does matter is you recognizing that they are doing something that feels probably uncomfortable to them. And the way to do that is to just say, hey, that looks good. Like, give them a little bit of, like, positive reinforcement where the, the real subtext is, like, I see you. You're doing something different, and it's probably uncomfortable. I kind of want it to, to make it a little bit less uncomfortable for you. Right. Exactly. It's hard to tell. And you have to be very aware because sometimes you say this thoughtless, stupid thing like, like what you were saying. But 
I felt so good every time I've been able to recognize and do such a thing that it makes me try to be more conscious of it. Totally. Um, of course I, yeah. So this isn't why to be clear, but my, my reasons for growing and this is, this is a, there are at least two people from my work that listen to this podcast. So this should be fascinating later. Um, cause we've gone from talking about things that no one, but you and I remember to like things that happened like two weeks ago. Um, or are currently happening in the case of said mustache. Uh, but I, I mean, the reason was, it cannot be like overthought. Like I just was like, well, it's 2018. Everything's insane. I'm going to grow a mustache. Woo. But, um, I realized come the time where I realized that the mustache was like maybe going to stick around for a while. Um, I started thinking about my, my dad growing a mustache. And at the time, so, like, this has only happened once, maybe twice in my whole life. My dad had tried to grow a mustache. And uh, the time I'm I thinking I think I of, remember one. Yeah, like, the time, the time I'm thinking of was about 1996. I was 12. Um, we, were, uh, we, were at a, um, we were on a road trip, and, and he decided to, at some point, decided to start growing a mustache. And uh, I remember my mom just, like, ragging on him continually, like saying like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you could never grow a mustache. He's, you know, your dad's got no, you know, and genetically he and I basically only grow hair in like the um, Wesley from Princess Bride areas. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, well, like, it's convenient. It's like, you know, the Joe Dirt situation where it just sort of grows that way. Oh, no. Joe Dirt has way more luscious uh, sideburns than I could ever have. But but yeah, I mean, it's very limited, uh, limited uh uh, palette I'm working with here, and uh, and and she she gave him a hard time about it. It showed up. It was stringy and gross, and then it disappeared. And I realized, like, as 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 it took my own mustache like a month to not become stringy and gross. Now it's again not like a super. I'm not. It's no Richard Petty over here. I'm I'm doing it okay, and I will keep it around for however long because it took a dang month to look remotely respectable. <laughs> but like, um, I I. I realized like 19, uh, what did I say? 96. My dad was 35, 36 and I'm 33. Like he was, not, mm. you know, he was not that old. He was roughly my age now. And I, and, and that kind of like changes the whole tone of those memories, right? Like I was a little bit older cause he had me a little bit younger. So I remember all this stuff, but like, you know, there there isn't like another time period, uh, uh, you know, 10, 15 years from now where I'm suddenly my dad and then the same thing happens to me or whatever. Oh, you yeah. Know, like I, it, it, I mean, I'm, this is this is scratching the surface of a large ball of feelings, I think. No, it's real. It's actually really not. I would I would <laughs> I would I would give it to you if it were. I, I think in no. I, I am very appreciative that my my wife and. I love my mother. I know she's listening to these episodes, but uh, my wife would not like uh, den- denigrate uh, me to my children so actively. Um, but I realized, like, even at the time, maybe he just stopped because he was like, because um, nobody was just telling him that, hey, you're trying something new and feeling kind of uncomfortable about it. Good, uh, good, definitely could have been. Good I mean, you. your dad is pretty uh, self-sufficient personality, but like everybody. I mean, to some degree, you respect people, and when they give you that, you you know, you just lose. You, you know, it you just sort of ditch it, right? Like even even my dad, who is, uh, um, 
yeah, I would, I would say that's a good way to describe him. And I, I couldn't tell you to this day uh, why he decided to grow it or why he decided to shave it. Uh, it but, couldn't have been a non. Right. They were factors. They were factors. Well, I've looked up. I've looked up the picture that I remembered seeing you with it, and well, I gotta that say, was a really efficient look up there. Not it's, it's Instagram. It's like all I have. Um, oh, my picture! I thought you were talking about a picture of my father. I was no, very impressed. I, that's lost to the ages, uh, apparently for good reason. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh. I'm seeing it, and I know we're talking about this, but it looks pretty natural. I don't know. It looks like a look. All right, I'm sending. I, I'm, I don't see why this shouldn't be a thing. I'm sending you a picture. There you go. Mm, I'm excited. I, I, all right. It's making for nope. some real quality podcasting as we start to push our. <laughs> my, uh, are you laughing? Mm. No, yeah, yes. No, I didn't get it yet. I'm oh, not okay. laughing at your picture. <laughs> well, my mother informed me that our one and a half hour episode was more podcast than she uh, needed for her 10,000 steps. So we have to watch it on oh, the time frame. Well, okay. <laughs> she can, uh, we could give her an ending and then just go as long as we want. Yeah, Mom, okay. Mom, you could stop listening 20 minutes ago. Thanks. Uh, I see it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I see that it's got the little downturn, and you've got a chin thing. I'm the, not going to say the chin say, thing is is just neglect. The chin okay. thing is neglect. That's not a direction. Because I did go briefly, like a couple days, with a Doc Holiday look, which this is not far from. Um, it, uh, a la Tombstone, the movie from 1997. I mean, I, I, sh- I sure hope that our our listenership understands the only canonical Doc Holiday look. Well, I I don't know who it is, but mm. I like it. You've always had a ability, for better or worse, to really throw yourself into things, as we've mentioned before. So I've always respected that level of confidence, even though you now have pictures of yourself with frosted tips during important parts of your life. Uh, me not doing anything was not a better choice. So <laughs> keep that mustache going. We're, we're not going to talk about it today. We'll talk about phases and what I think about the the, the term phases of one's life. I think that's important. But we, oh, okay. it, it's right. more of the beginning of a podcast kind of thing and not the end. And we're sort of like winding down here, I think. Yeah, this is like the post-credit scene. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the po- uh, where we both eat shawarma in silence. Boy, I ate some really, really good, uh, uh, a really good euro the other day. I gotta get back over there and try their shawarma. Uh, we have limited options here, Cam. Remember, we have a target. A target? Target what? Oh, we just have, one. We just have limited options here. Mm. Let's see. My, like, here's what I got. To, uh, let's see. We've uh, we're gonna look up and find out whether a Malou or a Melange is better. Uh, the proximity untoward. Uh, sometimes we're all driving the wagon. Uh, you, the sneak up mustache, I think, is an interesting uh, sort of concept in general. Oh, I mean, so to to kind of put a lid on the 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 um, positive reinforcement thing, I'm not sure if it's the I. I hate to make giant regional judgments. I think it's more of just the size of a, of a social group. 
um, whether it's your job or your city or your or whatever. But um, there's a certain amount, and maybe I just work at a really uh, socially healthy company or something. But there's a certain amount of just like general politeness uh, where you don't assume that someone is ready to be ribbed, you know, and you just want to. Uh, people tend to default towards saying something more nice um, that is wonderful. And I think it's a process. I think it's a product of um, diversity and understanding that not everyone is like you. Uh, uh-huh. And look, man, if I, as a, a, a wasp, uh, <laughs> feel uh, like I'm being my mild movements slightly outside the, you know, like growing a mustache, if that mild, like discomfort sort of decision, uh, is even something that people are polite about, like that's because the overall envelope of things that people need to understand is so much wider than me. And that seems healthy. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, uh, it's so hard cause it's so ingrained in me to be sarcastic as like a just an easy quick thing it's it's just always going on in my head positive sarcasm is possible and i think it's like super impressive when it works so i'm just gonna work towards that i'm sure that'll work out great thank you i'm gonna take that as sincere (laughs) 